I'm convinced no one loves me here. Uh, I mean, okay, when has Lee ever gotten in the pulpit at 11.15? (laughs) I mean, that's got to be, there's probably a thousand words in that song, and they were done in like 35 seconds, you know? (laughs) Well, you know, if you're a betting person, you know what the Lord says about that, you would think, hey... 11 o'clock. Bob's preached this once. It's got to get better. (laughs) Or you might think, you know, hey, he's practiced. You know, all the cobwebs are out. I don't know about that. Or, hey, we might get done in time. You know, it's just not looking good for all of us. But, uh, but no, uh, I am grateful and thankful. I do want to tell you how much I love you and my family loves you. Um, You know, y'all celebrated a uh, pastor appreciation and and we love serving here it's been over 17 years and they've gone by so fast we've raised our kids here you know and their faith you have had a large part of that you know that's one of the things that's most amazing one of the things that's amazing about Dawson Street is how long our early education teachers have been teaching and, and loving and investing and pouring in. And now it's neat to see as adults, my kids, living out that faith, making that faith their own. You know, living on our faith, our church's faith for a long time, but now making it their own. And to be able to serve with them, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, Caleb's in the back, you know, Jonathan and all them playing. It's just, been a, it's just a blessing. And your staff is very grateful and thankful to call this our church home. And you are our home. You are our church family. We don't have another church family. And we're grateful and thankful. And so I'm confident to know that if I take this message that you're going to love me. Amen? Oh, that wasn't very loud. So, no. um, I want to start with the passage of Scripture, Psalm 95. He uh, says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to Him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds his hand, in his hands the depths of the earth and in the mightiest and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did, did at Meribah and as they did at Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience. And even though they saw everything I did, for 40 years I was angry with them. And I said, these are people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, I know with all my heart You have put a message on my heart. And God, it is not my words that I pray your people were here this morning. But God, it will be your words that you would reveal to them what you've been revealing to me. Father, we have sung praises to you and about you. Father, we have praised your name. May our hearts be receptive to hear from you this morning. Because God, you are the giver of life. Your word and only your word is living and active. And Father, it's only your word that can correct and instruct and rebuke 
and encourage. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, not because I deserve it, because your people need to hear a word from you. Father, I need to continue to hear a word from you. So bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, let's take a little poll. Who has their Christmas decorations up? Nice. Who had them up two weeks ago? <laughs> who who actually had them up but even turned them on way before Thanksgiving? Hey, it's a pandemic year. You can do anything like that, you know? Like I remember I, I was working on my Christmas lights and uh, my neighbor came up and, and uh, we were talking. He's like... He says, are you going to turn them on? This was uh, like a week or so ago. And I said, yeah, I'm going to turn them on. He says, can we do that? Can we, can we turn them on before? Th- I guess it's, you know, Thanksgiving night is the, or I said, hey, it's a pandemic. We can do anything. You know, I mean, all bets are off. So, so well, today is November 29th. It's an interesting day because it's not really Thanksgiving. It's not really Christmas. You know, it's, for some of us, it's a little bit too early to celebrate Christmas. For some of us, we're still hungover. Food, babe, okay, let me clarify that. We're still laden with much food from, from Thanksgiving. Like, if, when your kids get old, you, older, you wind up celebrating Thanksgiving more than just on Thanksgiving Day, you know, because of work schedules and getting everybody together. And so, you know, we did, like, pulled pork tacos on Thanksgiving Day, and then we did, like, homemade fried chicken on yesterday. And so, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just a, Palooza, we just eat all the time. And so wherever this day, November 29th, finds you, I dare to say that some of us are happy. Some of us are sad. Some of us may be worried. Some of us may be confident. Some of us could be expectant, so looking forward to this Christmas season and, and, and what the rest of the year has in store. Some of us could be dreading. Some of us could be focused and really on point with where they believe God wants them to be and what they want God wants them to be about, or some of us could be confused. But in these in-between time, what are you wishing for the most? You know, uh, I, I, my, I love Christmas because now I'm to the point that I can give more than I get. And I really want to to think about the things that I give to those that I love. I want it to mean something. You know, I want it to be that one thing that they really, really need or would really want, but maybe don't feel comfortable getting it for themselves or something like that. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And not just during the Christmas season, but as a dad and as a grandfather, God, what do my kids need? What is most important to them and how can you use me to fulfill that need? And as a a minister, as a pastor, as our pastors, that's our heart cry for the people that God entrusts into our under-shepherding. Did I say that correct? Thank you. Um, There's a test. You know, I get graded on this, right? So Monday morning, first thing, we have some coffee. I sit in his office and he... Brings up all the points of, well, that one really wasn't good. This was good. No, he never does that. He's one of my biggest cheerleaders. Matter of fact, I wish that y'all could see what I see. Because I don't know whether he sees me as his child or what, but he's just smiling. I mean, he just loves to hear God's word preach. I love that. So, okay, that was the last squirrel. But, um, <laughs> but what, 
you know, what do you need the most? And that's my heart cry, that no matter on the spectrum of where this moment, this time finds you, I believe that you need what Moses acknowledged that he needed. And that's where we're going to look at. We're going to really look at some history of Exodus 24 through Exodus 32, but we're going to focus on Exodus chapter 33 through 34. And so we find Moses in that moment having an epic failure with his people. He's already seen God bring his people. They cried for years and years and years. God releases from this bondage in Egypt. And so he came in there and he called Moses. After Moses spent 40 years of preparation in the desert, he calls Moses to the burning bush and says, I want to use you to go and to lead my people out. And, and Moses said, who's going to go with me? He says, I am, will be with you, will guide you. And he leads them out through incredible miracles and signs and wonders and and brings them through dry land, through the sea, and then brings the sea back on Pharaoh's army. And, and just an incredible thing. And Moses, after that, they sing this great song of acknowledging God as, as the warrior that he is. And so about two months later, he's brought Moses and Aaron and Joshua and some of the 70 of the Israelite leaders and up to the mountain. And they camp a little bit lower. And then he brings Moses up above and he begins to give Moses his commandments. How, here's how I want your people to act. Here's how my people need to respond and need to worship me and need to do. And so while he's up there on those 40 days and 40 nights, chaos breaks out down below. And so actually chapters 24 through 32 is the giving of that law the first time to Moses. And, and in between that time, somehow they get Aaron to come down and to build a golden calf for them. Because they, and it's interesting what they say. It's say, we don't know where this fellow is. They don't even call Moses by his name. It's, it's been less than 40 years. It's amazing how fragile and frail we are, but we don't even know who this fellow is. You know, but he's gone. We don't know what's happened to him. Would you come and make an idol for us to say, this is who has led us out of captivity. And so what does Aaron do? You all know the story. He builds a golden calf. They worship it. God says, Moses, you need to go down because I'm about to completely decimate these people because they're so stubborn and stiff-necked. And they've made an idol and they're worshiping it. And they're taking, they're giving that idol the glory that belonged to God and said, This is who's led us out. This is who is going to lead us into the promised land. And so, what happens? He goes down there. He asks God, he begs God, God, don't destroy him. God relents. He goes down there. God sends a plague. They kill over 3,000 people that day. He burns up the calf. He grinds the powder up, he puts it in the water and makes the people drink it. And so Moses is now back. He's been meeting with God in the tent of meeting. God's been talking with him and he says, <clears throat> he says, you know, God, you say in, in, in chapter 33, uh, beginning in verse 20, he says, the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go to the land I swore you to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people, and if I did, I would surely destroy you. So later on, Moses asked him, God, you say, uh, verse, chapter, verse, 
chapter 33, verse 12, he says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And so in this very sweet moment, Moses is sharing his heart with God. He says, God, you've called me to lead these people, but who's going to go before me? It's interesting. He acknowledges that he can't do it on his own in that statement that he made. Who's going to go before me? And, God, and this is what God says to him in a very sweet time. And I think it's a sweet time because I get the older I get, the sweeter everything gets. Everything's sweeter. My kids are a little bit sweeter. Them grandbabies are a little bit sweeter. You know, I'll share this story even though she might can hear me. But the other day, the little one was at the house and she was blowing that little recorder, you know, the blue recorder. And it's one of those ones that if the nuclear bomb went off, that thing would survive because it's like obnoxious, you know. And she's like, wee, wee, wee. I mean, I mean, if you could hit every no note that is most irritable to a person's ear, bless her. You know, this little three-year-old hit them. And she was working on them. And said, she stopped and she looked at me and she said, Papa. I can make every animal sound with this, with this instrument. I said, you can. She said, yes, I can. I said, well, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Woo, man, I mean, she is just wailing on that thing. And I mean, I don't, I, there's a scale for notes. I don't know that any of these were on that scale. And right as she's, and this is three, right? Right as she pulls out her mouth, she goes, meow. I said, I heard it. That was a cat. You can't make every noise. It's so sweet. It's, they're just, I mean, when you have them, you'll understand. Until you have them, you know, it's just everything is sweeter. And this was, I think, such a sweet moment because Moses showed his vulnerability that God already knew that he had. And he's, and he's acknowledging to God, God, I can't lead these people on my own. Who is going to go with me? And the Lord replies to him in such a sweet way. He says, in verse 14, he says, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? Why? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And so wherever you are in the spectrum of either being super happy and everything's going great or so worried and not knowing what's going to happen the next day, one thing I do know is what you, the greatest thing I could ever pray for you or wish for you or anybody could ever pray for anyone and wish for them is to have a greater awareness of the presence of God. And that's what Moses was asking God for. God, I need to know your presence because he takes it a step further. He says, he says in verse 18, Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. God, I need more. I know you're saying you're going to go with me, but what does that look like? Who is that actually entail? What is going on? And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. 
The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. And so God says, I will, I am willing to show you my presence. I'm willing to reveal to you who is saying will go with you, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock because no man, no human can, who is frail who has fallen, who is sinful, can see the face of God. And so he hides him in the rock. It says, he goes on, let's look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 34. It says, Then the Lord told Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first one, and I will write them on the same word, write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not let even the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the grandchildren and the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And so God hides Moses' face from him. And he, as he carries by, he does something so sweet. Is he tells Moses who he is. He reveals his character, his person to Moses with the words that he speaks. And he says, I am Yahweh the Lord. See, God's presence brings who God is. God is, who, is the one who created everything, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when he's telling Moses, here's who's going with you, the creator of all things. God, who is a warrior, is going with him. Exodus 15, he says, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. That was Moses' own confession after God brought them through the Red Sea. And parted the sea. God is a warrior. That's who's going with him. God who is the only God. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. God who is trustworthy and faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who obey his commands. See, God's presence brings something. Creator God is going to be with Moses. Moses, that's why it's so important that we come to grips with how important it is that we, that we have experienced God's presence. It's creator God is with us. Warrior God is with us. The only true God is with us. The trustworthy and faithful God is with us. I love how he describes himself. He calls himself the God of compassion. The God who is compassion is with us. Does anybody need compassion today? Anybody made a mistake this week? Anybody had a boo-boo, done something they really shouldn't have done or said something they shouldn't have said? No? 
Man, I do. I'm sorry I'm talking loud. I'm just really excited. I'm not an angry preacher. I'm just just really excited. But God, I, I mean, I mess up all the time. I need compassion. Ask my wife. She could testify on the daily. Dare I say, moment by moment, I'm pro- if I'm alive and breathing, I'm probably doing something. Well, hold on. I have an opportunity to do something that I could apologize for. <laughs> God, who is mercy, and I love what he says. He says, God, the God of compassion and the God of mercy. Anybody need mercy? Boy, I need mercy. And you know, and it's unmerited mercy, is it not? It's the, you know when I need mercy? When I least deserve it, right? When I least deserve it is when I need mercy the most. And I'm going to tell you, in the flesh, you can't do that. You can't mercy people that aren't worthy of mercy. It's, it's impossible. You, don't, you want to rebuke them, don't you? But God, who is mercy, I need his mercy. Moses needed his mercy. Moses needed his compassion. Man, you know how stubborn the people were. We ha- we've read the history. I, and Moses didn't even know to the degree of how stubborn these people were going to be. He didn't know how much mercy or how much compassion that he was going to need from the Lord. God, who is forbearance, is with us in his presence. He says, I am slow to anger. Man, I need forbearance. Man, our world needs forbearance. We got a whole lot of stupid people in this world. And, and I'm one of them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, we don't make... That more and more, I guess it's because I see news more. More and more people don't make sense. We need long-suffering forbearance. God who is forgiveness is with us. He says, I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, slow to anger. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. The God who is of unfailing love is with us. The God who is faithful. Man, things change. Did you know? Did you know that hip huggers and bell bottoms and go-go boots are coming back in style? And mullets? Man, I'm pre- at least going to grow a mullet one day. <laughs> I mean, things change. Things change. Man, I, I never thought mullets would come back, but they are. They are. And, um, and I, when I saw someone wearing go-go boots, I was like, oh, I've seen it all now. That's the 70s, right? They have come back. But we need a faithful God who, does, who doesn't change. See, he was trying to help Moses to come to understand Who all, when he says, I will be with you, I will not leave you, my presence will be there, this is what he means. The God who is compassion and mercy and forbearance and forgiveness and unfailing love and faithfulness. But also, as we saw with what Moses said in verse 16, God's presence sets us apart. See, it's not our gifts or our abilities that set us apart. It's God's presence in our lives that sets us apart. Man, it's not. If you go and look, you show me one instance in the Bible where God used someone because of them, but but really in spite of them. It's because God chose them. Man, was David perfect? No. Was Solomon perfect? No. Was the Apostle Paul perfect? No. Was Peter perfect? No. None of them were perfect, but yet God chose to use them. It's not our talents and our abilities or our gifts 
that, that reveal God's presence to people. It's his presence in our lives. It's not anything that we can bring. But as Moses said, it is your presence that sets us apart. But when we have God's presence in our lives, there are expectations from the Lord, from God, that come with that. And he begins to share that with Moses. Well, for one, it's interesting. What was Moses' response to God's revelation of the power of his presence in his life? If you go and look on in the chapter, he fell prostrate before the Lord and worshiped. That we can't help but want to worship God when we truly encounter Him. It changes us. But God brings expectations. Let's pick up in, uh, chapter, in verse 12 of chapter 34. So He says, Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you're going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their, in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods and wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. You must not make any gods of molten metal for yourselves. You must celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring and in the month of Abib. For that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. The firstborn of every animal belongs to me, including the firstborn males from your herds of cattle and your flocks of sheep and goats. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place, but if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. No one may ever appear before me without an offering. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. You must celebrate the festival of harvest with the first crop of the wheat harvest and celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season. Three times each year every man in Israel must appear before the sovereign Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out the other nations ahead of you and expand your territory so no one will covet and conquer your land while you appear before the Lord, your God, three times each year. Boy, there's a message there. You know, we don't want to give God time because we're afraid we'll miss something. He just promised them, you're never going to miss anything when you sacrifice to come and spend time with me. Verse 25, you must not offer the blood of my sacrificial offerings together with any baked goods containing yeast. And none of the meat of the Passover sacrifice may be kept over until the next morning. As you harvest, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. And so God began to tell him, Moses, I promise you, my presence will be among you. And all that that encompasses, but because my presence is there, there are expectations that I have of you. For one, you need to live a set-apart life. Verse 12, when he says, be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land. 
If you do, you will follow the evil ways and be trapped. He says, instead, break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. See, he knew, and he was trying to tell Moses, we cannot join in with the world. The world is all around us telling us what we need to be about, what we need to put our hands to, what needs to be the focus of our lives, how we ought to live our lives. And every time we buy into that, it always leads to compromise. It always leads to dishonoring the Lord. And he says, we, it's a trap. He says, do not live set apart lives. Do not make a treaty with those that live in this world. But he also says that we should only worship God. That's the easy one, right? Only worshiping God? That's easy, right? Lee, you only worship God? Absolutely. We wouldn't want to say that, right? But let's think about it. Wherever, wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also, right? Whatever we spend the most time and energy and thought on equals what we value the most. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't take you long to know the things that I value in my life. Why? Because I spend the most time about them. You think I value my grandkids? Absolutely. Why? Because I talk about them all the time. Man, I will bend your ear as the day is long. Why? Because they mean something to me. You want me to brag on my kids? I can do that all, the, all day long. Why? Because they mean something to me. You want me to talk about the Lord? Man, I love talking about the Lord. And Sunday mornings are, I love, it's awesome to talk about the Lord. The catch is, am I bringing a word from the Lord? I mean, I can talk about the Lord all day long. I love that. I've given my life to that. What you value, where you spend your time will equal with what you value. We should only worship God. But not only that is, is we should tear down the altars that are in this world. And and that's the hardest thing is as well, you know, we don't want to get all political and that kind of thing. But there's a time when we have to stand up and say, no, this is an idol, and we stand against it. And we will not worship that. And then he also says to always remember. That's the point of the festivals, to always remember. Man, we should always remember our salvation story. Do you remember your salvation story? Now, maybe not the specific day of the week or the moon phase or the weather or that, but where you were, when you were, the condition you were, when you encountered God and knew that you were living a life separated from Him. It was only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you could have a relationship with Him. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I remember that day specifically. And we should remember that. Why? Not because it benefits us, well, it does, but we should remember the God of that moment. Man, that's when God chose, not because I deserve it, to reach down and to meet Bobby Miller right where he was and to bring him into a loving relationship that my life has never been the same. We should remember that. We should remember the spiritual watershed moments that we have in our lives. Man, we write them down. You know, Moses and them, they took 12 stones from that dry ocean bed. And they built an altar. They sang and created a song. God put a song in the heart to try to remember all that God had done. He says, always remember to celebrate them, but above all, to celebrate the God of them. But he also says in verse 26 that we need to give to God what is God's. If we want to experience his presence in our lives, we have to give to him. And he says the best goes first to God. The best. 
Whatever little bit that I bring, the best of me must go to God. My time, my talent, my energy, my family, my finances all need to go to God to give Him the best. Why? Because it's because of Him I have those things. I can do those things. It's God working in me to will and to act according to His purpose. And then he says in verse 20, which I think is really interesting, he says, don't appear before the Lord. No one may appear before me without an offering. That when I come before the Lord, do I always bring an offering? Do I come before God to give or do I come before God to get? Now, God tells me we need to talk to him when we have needs, right? No matter how big or how small, God says he will promise to meet all of our needs. Is he, has he not? Yeah, so if he's gonna, he can't meet them, I have to ask him to meet them. He meets those needs. But yet, do I worship? But he doesn't give me what I want. Do I worship? Do I come to God to only get the things I need? Or do I come... To give. Sometimes I can take advantage of God's generosity. And so I think, oh, I do the things I want to do, and God's this, and I don't mean to, but He's this vending machine. And I put my, oh, that takes 35 prayers. Okay, I put those in there, and then I press my button, and I get what I want. God's not that way. Do I come giving to Him? God, I come with my hands open, not to receive, but to give you everything I have. So my heart, I give to you. I'm going to tell you what. This Sunday morning, there's one person I know for sure in this room that came to give, and that's me. Because I've been praying, I've been praying for weeks now. Man, I know the fifth Sunday's coming. And I'm thinking, man, and be honest with you, sometimes I pray, Lord, just let Lee say, Bob, I really got a message I need to share. (laughs) You know, and I told him last night, I think the Lord told me you need to preach. And he takes me back. He didn't tell me that. (laughs) You need to take it up with him. But, um, But I've come in to bring something to him. Man, so often I think we as Christians, we come to church to just get and we don't come to give. Well, I didn't get anything out of this. How many times do you think we hear people say, the reason why they leave church is because I just don't get anything out of the preaching anymore. Well, maybe the point that God's trying to tell us is, is we need to come to give. What can I give to you today, God, that you've given to me? How can I be a blessing to your worship this morning? God, am I bringing all that I have? Do I come to bring an offering when I come before the Lord? And the results of God's presence in our life will make a difference. Verse 8, we will want to worship him. We will bow down. We will lay prostrate before him, and we will want to worship him. It's the right thing to do. Man, Isaiah, when he encountered God in that vision, what did he want to do? He worshiped him. He sensed his depravity and his need to worship the Lord, to worship God. He says, woe to me, for I'm unclean, and I live around people with unclean lips. And God reached down and touched his lips and used him as a mouthpiece to share his word with those around him. See, we will want to worship him. You don't be, you're not, I don't have to be drugged to church. I actually want to come. I actually want to come this Sunday too. I want to be at church. Why? Because I want to worship the God. I, I, I need this time. You know, we get beat up too. You know, we have, we have struggles too. We have spiritual battles too. And we need this encouragement from the Lord and from each other to know that, hey, listen, when I'm battling, I know that all of y'all are battling too. 
and y'all are all trying to walk that path that I'm trying to walk, we come to worship. It's natural to want to worship Him. And His presence in our lives will have an external effect. Look at verse 28 of Exodus 34. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. And all that time he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. And when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. See, when we truly encounter the presence of the Lord, it has an effect on us that people will see. Look at Moses in this example. Look at Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. Look at Stephen before he was stoned. You know, I, uh, when I was in seminary, I served at Oak Grove Baptist Church. Uh, was there, I was the janitor, you know, mowed the grass. We lived actually when Caleb was born. The first place he came home was the parsonage on the backside of the fellowship hall. And I'll never forget Dr. David Garland retired. He was an Old Testament professor at Southwestern God Seminary. I say that because Lee went to New Orleans. But, um, but, um, but uh, Dr., uh, I remember my prayer partner was Henry Blackaby's youngest son, Norman. And Norman was really had a good relationship with a New Testament professor named uh, Dr. Leo Garrett, who had like two THMs, a couple of PhDs. I mean, You come and look at my room, and there's these two books that are about that big together, and it's systematic theology. I mean, God has just given him an incredible mind. And when Norman said, hey, Dr. Garrett's agreed to come and to be our interim pastor, I wrote a resignation letter. I mean, I literally wrote a resignation letter because I knew that here this man was going to come. I was going to say two words out of my mouth. It's going, ah, you're an idiot. You're out of here, you know. But I'm going to tell you, that man... I just wanted to be around him because he just oozed Jesus. Here's this man that was so learned. God had given him such a gift, but he had so much humility, so much love, so much grace. He knew my children by name. And he would every, every, time, the first, every time he would see me, he'd say, how are you fine? He'd say, how's Christy and the kids? And he'd call them by name. But when that man came to preach and he had one of those Timex watches with the little elastic band and he would turn that band around because he preached for 30 minutes and he would put that watch dial in his hand, you better buckle up because you're about to learn something. Man, God just spoke through him just like he does our pastor. He just spoke through him. And I just wanted to be around him. Man, God's presence in our lives changes people. It changes people. So the question I have is, are we seeking the presence of God or the benefits of God? And I dare say many times, I think I seek the benefits more so than I seek the presence of God. I seek the benefits of God. God, I need to be more loving to my wife. God, I need to be more patient to my family. God, I need to be more of this, more of that. God, would you please give me more of this, more of that? And the next thing I think of is my eyes and my focus are all on all these benefits, And they're not of a relationship with God. They're not on the God of those benefits. See, the God who created everything wants to create in our lives and through his people as his presence abides with us. See, the God who created life wants to create life in me and in you. John 10.10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. 
Colossians 3, 3 says Jesus is our life, and our life is hidden with him. The God who created hope wants to create hope in us and in those around us. The God that created direction and purpose wants to create hope and direction in our life. The God who is a warrior wants to go to battle on our behalf. He's a warrior. He wants to battle for us. He can battle for us. Can anything stand against God? Absolutely not. And I'm going to tell you, the last couple of months, I've had some spiritual battles in my life where I would just all of a sudden have this huge wave of dread and fear. I mean, so palpable that I would just break into a cold sweat. And I finally was just talking to God about it, I'm talking to God about it, I'm talking to my family about it, I'm talking to Lee about it, and I finally just got down to, a couple of weeks ago on my knees, and I said, God, I didn't ask to be created. And I sure didn't ask to be created like this. I'm a hot mess. You know, I, I would have worked on some of those things. But you made me, how you made me. And God, you know, it just, he just pressed my heart where Samuel heard God's voice at night and God he went to Eli the priest and Eli said no I hadn't called you and about the third time he says no it's God the next time you hear his voice say speak to me Lord your servant is listening and God just put on my heart because uh, I said I need to hear a word from you I just got down nobody was home I got down on my knees in my house and I just earnestly prayed God I need to hear a word from you and immediately he put on my heart be still and know that I'm the Lord. I said, ooh, that's good. I think that's in the Bible. So I Googled it, right? Sure enough, Psalm 46. And man, he spoke to my heart that even though you think the earths are quaking and the water's foaming, man, I will be exalted. And, and he says, I am the Lord. Let me battle for you. I love you so much, but son, you're picking up something that doesn't belong to you. This is above your pay grade. Why are you doing that? Man, and I could just, he talked to me so sweet. Like I would talk to my kids. He just wanted me to get it. I am God. I will be exalted. You be still. You honor me. You worship me. Man, he is a warrior. He wants to go to battle on our behalf. And I believe he wants to go on, on battle on the behalf of other people through you and through me. I really believe and am convinced that he is bringing conversations to, to us of people that are struggling with things. But we're so afraid to allow God to speak through us. He's a warrior. He wants to break down those strongholds. He will demolish those, those footholds that the devil has upon these people. If God would just, if we'll just allow God to speak through us. But we're so afraid to share with people. We're, we're really, we're afraid to offend them. But what is more wonderful in the ears of a believer than conviction of sin? Because conviction of sin, this side of the cross is what? It's always restorative. It's always, it's always redemptive. That's the blood of Christ. The punitive measure of sin has been taken care of once and for all through the blood of Jesus. And so we need to allow God to go be a warrior, not only on our behalf, to break down whatever strongholds and altars that we have in our lives, but then to use us to speak to the lives of our brothers and sisters and say, I love you, but there's a better way. That's an altar in your life. You're worshiping an idol that's not good for you. There's something so much better. You need to let that go. God is a warrior that wants to go to battle on our behalf and through us to others. God 
who is the only God, wants us to worship Him only and encourage others to do likewise. Is the worship of God important to you? You know, I love when the psalmist says that he just wants, you know, motives of his heart or meditation of his heart to be pleasing to God. God, not only when I come to corporate worship, but every day as, I, as you use me to serve my family or my church, God, I, or I just be your child, I want my worship to be pleasing. You want to do everything as doing unto the Lord. The God who is faithful wants to show himself faithful in our lives and through the life and to the lives of others. Has God been faithful to you? He is faithful. If you want to have a picture dictionary and you want to look up faithful, there'd be God's picture if there could ever be a picture of him. Because he's faithful. That's his name. He's faithful. He wants to prove faithful. When so many things are so wishy-washy and going crazy and all that, God is steadfast. He is faithful. His love knows no end. It knows no limit. He is faithful. Why? Because he is true to himself. Allow him to be faithful to you and to the lives of others. See, the God who is compassion wants to be compassionate to you. And wants to use you to show his compassion to others. Do I need to go on? The God who is mercy. The God who is forbearance and forgiveness and unfailing love and faithfulness. The God of all those and so many more. He wants to be that to you and to me as he reveals his presence in our lives. But also to those that are around us. So what are you going to choose in this moment? What are you going to choose today or tomorrow if it comes? Are you going to choose to seek the presence of God or to seek the benefits of God? Are you more focused on the benefits of the God rather than the God of the benefits? Man, I'm telling you what, God has encouraged me so much through His Word. God, just as I revealed to Moses... So many years ago, I'm revealing to you today. My presence is enough. Seek my presence in your life. Adjust your life to honor me and to put no one else before me. And I will be to you everything you need me to be. Will you seek his presence? That's, our greatest, that's my greatest wish for me, for my family, for our pastor, for our church. That's his heart too, is God, we pray for our people in this season. If, it's, if you're looking for Christmas, it's a great Christmas message. Seek his presence above all else. If you're in a COVID or whatever, a time of trouble or trial or whatever, seek his presence above all else and he'll work all those things out. I don't know how he will, but he will. He's God. He can do those things. He's created everything. He knows how it all works. Did God take me out of these difficult situations? No. Actually, I, fr- I had an opportunity to fret two more weeks after God gave me that word to be still. And every time I try to start squirming, he put in my heart, be still. Exalt me. Trust me. Well, God, what about today? Will I be delivered today? No. You know what I'm saying? And it took time. It took time. <clears throat> Seek him. It starts with the relationship with him. If you have no relationship with Jesus, and if you don't know, then I would take that as a no. 
when we have an opportunity, June comes and plays and Brother Lee comes and stands here to receive you. Man, what greater day than today to start walking towards his wonderful presence by surrendering your sin to him, receiving his forgiveness and cleansing, and living in a relationship with him. If you're a believer here today, I pray you've been encouraged. That's, I've been encouraged. I pray that you've been encouraged to seek his presence above all and trust him with your life and the lives of those that you love to be and to do all that he needs to be and to do. So as June comes and plays, as Brother Lee comes to receive, you make whatever decision God places upon your heart to make.